Amen. Thank you, Nicole and Ruth, and thank all of you and those of you that were worshiping from your homes tonight. What a tremendous time of worship tonight. Genesis 44 tonight as we continue our study of the life of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. And I want to remind all of us tonight again that this is a story that reminds us that God is able to accomplish multiple things at the same time. He did it in Joseph's life. He's doing it in our lives as well. And that's why we need to trust him because God is at work even when we don't see that he is at work, as we've just saw. He is faithful. He is faithful. So in this, we see God is not only moving his people to Egypt, which is his plan and purpose for his people in this season, And that he is also, through the wisdom that he's given Joseph, feeding millions of people through a famine and keeping them alive. But he is also working on the hearts of Joseph, whose heart needs mended and healed, and the hearts of his brothers and his father and other members of the family who have been so cruel and hateful Because God is establishing here a nation. He's establishing here and building a foundation for those he calls my chosen people. And in order to do that, he needs to have these especially 12 brothers who will become the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. He needs to have them together, you see. And so he's working here on hearts. And he's been working on their hearts throughout this story. And it also then reminds us of the patience of God in accomplishing sort of the heart surgery that he needs to do in our lives at times. And the fact that he's not in a hurry. Because like with Joseph and his brothers, Sometimes the things that need to be dealt with, that that area of greatest need has a deep root. And in order to get sometimes those to those deep roots or those deep-seated things, it takes time to dig them out and to deal with them. And then there's also the idea that if God wants to plant something, into our life he's also not in a hurry because he wants to go down deep and put that seed so that it can be secure and stable and sure over the last couple weeks we've seen the monsoon around here and i drove in on monday and saw that one of our palo verde trees had you know toppled over and you know The thing about Palo Verdes is they have a very shallow root system, which is why they're vulnerable to the storms. They don't stand up to the storms, right? God wants us to be an oak. He wants us to have a very deep root system. So when God is sometimes taking roots out of our life, it takes time. And when God is planting new things into our life, it takes time. And God is all about 
taking the time necessary to complete, if you will, the surgery. And so we've seen that this heart surgery that God has been performing on Joseph and his brothers has taken weeks, if not months. But God wants to make sure that it's all taken care of. And so tonight we come to sort of the the final part, if you will, of the surgery that's going on here. The final part of, of bringing these roots to the surface. And so would you join me as we dive into Genesis chapter 44 tonight. We ended chapter 43 with the celebration. Joseph had invited his brothers to this lavish dinner at his home, and they go from experiencing a famine in Canaan to a feast in Egypt. And now, beginning in chapter 44, Joseph has another plan that is designed to reveal the hearts of his brothers. Remember, I'm not condoning everything that Joseph did here, okay? Joseph didn't handle this perfectly, but God was using the tests that Joseph was putting his brothers through, both to restore his own trust in his brothers and to be able to reconcile with them, which was needed, and also to reveal the change of heart that was beginning to take place that God was doing in his brother's life. You see, it doesn't always have to be like this, you see. But in this case, reconciliation of these 12 brothers was a must. Not so much because they were family, because that doesn't always happen, but because they were going to be the foundation of the nation of Israel. And God has to start with unity. In a church, in a nation, in any work, God has to start with a people who are willing to come together and work towards a common goal and a common purpose and who have genuine and mutual love and concern and care for one another. But here's the deal. Reconciliation cannot happen in a relationship apart from repentance. You cannot truly reconcile a relationship unless repentance is evident. And there was no way that Joseph, after all that his brothers had done to him, was going to be able to reconcile with them unless he saw repentance in their hearts. That's why he put them through the tests that he did. So notice, he instructed the servant who was over his household, fill the sacks of the men with as much food as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. By the way, very interestingly, The words can carry. Speak about the idea of not only having the power to carry something, but the ability to sustain it over the long haul. Joseph was giving them all that they could carry and sustain it for the months-long trek back to Canaan. I, I point that out 
because I want to make a point here about our God and how many times he's different in, in the way he works in our life compared to the way we choose to do life or the way others would choose for us to do life. And it sort of ties in with the Matthew eleven twenty eight about my yoke is easy and my burden is light to carry. God will never give us at any point in our life more than what we can not only carry at the time, but what we can sustain to carry. You see? And sometimes where we then have problems, we take on more to carry than God is leading us to carry, and especially to be able to sustain to carry it over a period of time. Or others expect us to carry certain things that we cannot carry it at all, or we certainly could not carry that over the long haul. Whenever God places something in our life, it will be something that he knows we can manage. It's manageable. It's reasonable. And it's something that we can continue to carry over a long period of time. All right. Let's continue. Verse 2. Then put my cup, this extremely valuable and special cup that Joseph had in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the money for his grain, and the servant did as Joseph instructed. Now, I'll get to this in a little bit. We probably all have a special cup. If you drink coffee or tea or even, you know, soda or whatever, you probably have a special cup, your, your go-to, right? Your favorite one. That's Joseph's. And Joseph is sticking it in the sack strategically of his youngest brother, Benjamin. When morning came, verse 3, the men and their donkeys were sent off. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to the servant who was over his household, pursue the men at once. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Why ask that question? Because again, Joseph was testing the hearts of his brothers. Doesn't my master drink from this cup and use it for divination? You have done wrong. Now, we need to talk about this. I believe that when you study the life of Joseph, we're not studying a perfect man, but we are studying a man of faith. <laughs> and we are studying a man who was faithful to the Lord. I do not believe, nor does Joseph ever admit to using this cup for divination purposes, having anything to do with the occult in any way. What he was doing by mentioning this cup, even to his brothers, was he was continuing the ruse of what an Egyptian official would be doing with a cup like this to, again, keep up the appearance that he's Egyptian 
and he does the things that Egyptians do. I don't believe Joseph in any way ever used a cup to divine what God's will was. Joseph was allowing God to reveal things to him through dreams and visions and through speaking to him directly, and he didn't need to go down that route. So let's get that out of the way. When the man overtook them, he spoke these words to them, verse 6. They answered him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Look, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. Why then would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? Makes sense, right? If one of us has it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Okay, couple things. First, all of us have to be careful, no matter how emotional the situation, of saying things that we're going to regret. And Joseph's brothers should never have said this, no matter how upset or emotional they were, for two reasons. One, it is one thing to be sure and confident in what you have done, but it is very unwise to assume so confidently what others have done. Basically, it's like, oh, we're convinced none of us have done anything wrong. Well, are you sure? <laughs> you might be sure of you, but you've got 11 other brothers here to account for. And then the second thing is, had they not learned the fact that from the previous situation when they came down to Egypt and went back that they had stuff in their sacks that was a surprise to them. So maybe they shouldn't have went that route that quickly. Especially saying, well, the person who's sacked this in should die. Then it says, the one who has it will become my slave, but the rest of you will go free. Joseph had set up his brothers with a perfect excuse to abandon Benjamin and free themselves. I mean, think about that. And the reason he wants to see that is because obviously he remembers how they treated him, the favored son of Jacob. And now Benjamin is the favored son of Jacob, his full brother. They now have an opportunity to basically throw Benjamin under the bus, like they did Joseph, and go back and tell their father another story, right? So again, have they changed? Have their hearts changed at all in how they feel about Benjamin and also how they feel about their father. Verse 11. So each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the man searched. He began with the oldest and finished with the youngest. Can you, can you feel? I mean, it's like a movie. Can you feel the tension building? We know where the cup is. And yet they've got to go through all the brothers' stuff till finally it's found. Notice the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. 
oh my, you know. But notice something here. Unlike the way they were back in chapter 37, when 20 years plus, when they sold Joseph into slavery, look now at how these brothers are reacting. First of all, notice, they all tore their clothes. They were all very upset and grieving. And remember, back when they sold Joseph, there was disagreement amongst them. They weren't unified. There was disagreement amongst them of how they should handle it. Now, all of a sudden, they're all upset. And each man loaded his donkey, and notice, they all returned to the city. They did it together. And that was showing that God had been working on their hearts because God wants to see people be able to come together and work together and cooperate and, and sacrifice their own agendas for the good of the whole. That's how God even still does it in his church today, you see. So Jude and his brothers came back to Joseph's house. He was still there, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Again, fulfilling Joseph's dream, but also notice they did not com uh, come back demanding justice. They came back humbly pleading for mercy. They didn't come back saying, hey, we got a raw deal and somebody did us wrong. They're basically throwing themselves now on the mercy of Joseph, this Egyptian official. When God works in our hearts, we begin to become more humble. And we begin to realize that we don't deserve anything and therefore, we humble ourselves before God and always plead for mercy rather than getting what we deserve. Because if we got from God what we all deserve, we would all be going out into eternity without Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his own son in our place so that we could have eternal life. None of us gets what we deserve. All that we have is because of the grace and mercy of God. By grace, we are saved through faith. That even is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Humility. Joseph said to them, verse 15, what do you think you were doing? Don't you know that a man like me can and this is a key word. Joseph never said he did find things out like this by divination. He simply is saying, I could find out things like this by divination. Judah replied, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we clear ourselves? And then notice this. God has exposed the sin of your servant. Oh, there it is. And they're not talking about this because they are innocent of this. Remember, this was planted. They didn't do anything wrong. They're talking about 20-plus years ago. That is still haunting them. 
And now they believe that what they are going through is payback for what they did to Joseph. And this is why God has to get this dealt with. Because just like us, sometimes there's things in our past that in order for us to fulfill the will of God in our life and reach our full potential, we've got to be able to learn how to pack that away and move on from it instead of allowing it to haunt us and define us for our life. There's got to come healing at some point. And so God not only needed to heal Joseph's heart from the hurt and the pain and the cruelty and all that that his brothers inflicted upon him, and he had to be able to see that they truly were repenting from what they did but joseph's brothers had to have a heart surgery too they had to have a change of heart they had to just start to love and care about others including their brothers and their father they had to start caring about each other and others more than they did themselves and god is at work god is always at work Yes, God was feeding millions of people during a famine, and God was bringing his people down to Egypt. But more importantly at this point, God was working on hearts. And can I say that that's exactly the same God that is at work today? That he might be doing some big things in this world, but when it comes right down to it, the most important work that God ever does is the work he does on every one of our human hearts. That's the most important work. We are now, my Lord's slaves, Judah said. We and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Notice, they would stick together as well as stick by Benjamin. Did you get that at the end of verse 16? We are now, my Lord's slaves, all of us. We and the one in whose possession the cup was found. There's that unity. We're in this together. We're going to go down, but we're going down together, Joseph. And Joseph must have been heartened and amazed to see the difference in his brothers, the heart change that was taking place. Joseph said, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose hand the cup was found will become my slave, but the rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Again, giving them an out, saying you can throw Benjamin under the bus just like you threw me into that pit 20-plus years ago. I'm giving you an out. They wouldn't take it. And notice something very interesting here, too. Even after Joseph declared that this was sort of the penalty, notice again who's stepping up and being the spokesman? Judah. Judah is becoming a leader here. And he's making a, an appeal to Joseph even after Joseph has declared what the penalty is. Doesn't that remind you several, several weeks ago now when we studied how Hezekiah was told by the prophet Isaiah that God said to him, you, you tell him he's going to die? And Hezekiah makes his appeal to God. And God is willing to hear his appeal. This is exactly what Joseph, Joseph is saying, this is my declaration, but I'm open to being appealed to. Listen, 
God is a God who is always open to our personal appeals. And therefore, if we're going to be like God, even if we have determined something, we should always be willing to listen to the appeal of someone else before saying, that's it. Because that's who God is. That's how God operates. And that's how the people of God operate. And Joseph is simply being like his God here and being willing to hear the appeal of Judah. And I'm just going to read this. This is one of the most, to me, beautiful, most heartfelt passages of Scripture in all the Word of God. I mean, this man, Judah, is pouring out his heart, and you hear his heart, and you see his heart now for his father and for his brothers in this appeal. Notice what he says. He approaches him and says in verse 18, my Lord, please allow your servant to speak a word with you. Please do not get angry with your servant, for you are just like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an aged father, and there is a young boy who was born when our father was old. The boy's brother is dead. Can you imagine what Joseph felt when he heard that? He is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. By the way, interestingly, Judah is reminding the Egyptian official here, doesn't know is his brother yet, that all they wanted to do was come down to Egypt and buy some grain and get out of town. It was you, Joseph, that started asking us questions about our family. You're, you're the one that started all this. You wouldn't have known anything about our family. We just wanted to slip in, buy some food, and get back home. Why do you start asking us questions about our family? And again, would have been very unusual. You see, because Egyptians didn't want to have anything to do with Hebrews. Then you told your servants, verse 21, bring him down to me so I can see him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves his father, the father will die. But you said to your servants, if your youngest brother does not come down with you, you will not see my face again. And when we returned to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Then our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we replied, we cannot go down there if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go, for we won't be permitted to see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife gave me two sons. Again, think about what Joseph would have been feeling when he hears these words from his brother Judah. The first disappeared, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces. I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and an accident happens to him, then you will bring down my gray hair and tragedy to the grave. Did you notice how many times Judah uses the word father in that passage? Judah is showing they were now greatly concerned for the feelings and welfare of their father and this was more evidence of a changed heart. They were caring now when they didn't care before. That's change. Remember, they didn't care how much pain they inflicted on their father when they sold their brother into slavery and then went back and told him, here's his bloody robe, 
Don't know what happened to him. And to see the pain on Jacob's face all those years. Now Judah's like, I can't do that again to my father. He's starting to regard his father in a different way. He's starting to regard the one that his father loves in a different way. So now when I return to your servant, my father, verse 30, and the boy is not with us, his very life, Jacob's, is bound up in his son's life. I love this picture. Judah is saying, Jacob and Benjamin are knit together. In our lives, there's probably a few people in all of our lives that our lives are literally knit together with them. That was Jacob to Joseph, and that was Jacob to Benjamin. They were knit together. They were entwined with each other, and I'm using that word strategically because then I want you to follow along with me in verse 31. When he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, in sorrow to the grave. Indeed, your servant pledged security for the boy with my father. The phrase pledged security, again, we've talked about that means to take one's place, standing in for another, taking the penalty that someone else may be deserved. But it also comes from the root of a Hebrew word that means to braid or to be intertwined. Judah pledged himself to the security of his brother Benjamin. And when he did that, he was showing, I'm willing to take the penalty for my brother Benjamin. And when you are willing to do that, it shows how you are braided or intertwined or knit with somebody. And I say that, again, to bring alive what our Lord Jesus did for us. Because again, as I pointed out earlier in this study, one later, many centuries later, would also come from Judah. And he would stand in our place. He would take our penalty upon himself. And why did he do that? Because he was knit with us. He was braided with us. He was intertwined with us. And that's why he was willing to lay down his life for us. And now Judah is willing to do that for his brother Benjamin. I mean, think about the irony of it. Think about all kinds of crazy things. 20 plus years earlier, he was willing to be, go along with his brothers and throw his brother into a pit and sell him into slavery. And now, 20 plus years later, he's willing to let Benjamin go free and him to remain a slave in Egypt for the rest of his life? That's quite a change that God has wrought in the heart of Judah and the heart of all of them because they're all willing to be in this together. And then we close with these verses. Judah says, if I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame before my father all my life. Such self-sacrificing love is essential for the leaders of God's people. 
So notice verse 33 and 34. I think these are the key verses of the whole chapter, and they come at the end. So now, please let your servant remain as my Lord's slave instead of the boy. As for the boy, let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see my father's pain. Judah is offering to lay down his life for the sake of Benjamin. This is heroic self-sacrifice. This is exactly what Jesus pointed out when he said, no one has greater love than this, than they would lay down their life for another. No greater love than you would lay down your life for someone else. That's love. That's love. Self-sacrificial, selfless, sacrificial love. Heroic self-love. And that's where Judah has come to. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. It's the kind of love that God wants to produce in his followers. In fact, Jesus used that same word when he said, you shall know that you are my disciples if you have that kind of love for one another, that you're willing to lay down your life for others. Now, I want to end with this tonight. Please hang in there with me. I'm actually going to stop a little early tonight. Many times in the Bible, there is a picture within a picture. And I want us, before we leave here tonight, to see this beautiful picture within the picture. Okay? Judah and his brothers needed to have a greater love and regard for their father. Remember the last thing he said? I can't see my father in that pain. I can't do it. But they also needed to have a greater love and regard for the father's don't miss this, dearly loved son. Now, I realize, can't go completely apples to apples here. There's favoritism, that, that wasn't right, there's, there's that. But what I want you to see, though, is there's that picture within the picture. This story is more than just a story of a father and his sons and their brothers and all of that. This is picturing for us God the Father and his dearly beloved Son. And the fact that even Jesus says, you cannot love the Father and have no love for the Son. If you love the Son, you will love the Father too. And as believers... Part of what God wants to grow in us is that we throughout our lives have a greater love and regard for our Father 
And we also then have a greater love and regard for his dearly beloved son. The one even at his baptism that the father's voice was heard and clearly said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You see, you and I can't have one without the other. And that's why Jesus is saying, people can say they love God, but if they have no love or regard for God the Father's beloved Son, then they don't love God. Because the Father and the Son are together. You can't love and have regard for one and not for the other. And you see that, again, that picture within the picture playing out here, where what is God producing in the lives of Joseph's brothers? A greater love and regard for their own father, Jacob, and a greater love and regard for his beloved son. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives today. May we all allow God to keep working on our hearts each and every day and bring us to the place where Jesus is, where he laid down his life for others. There is no greater love than selfless, sacrificial, heroic love. And God says, it's great that you love me, but you've also got to demonstrate that kind of love to one another. Because remember something very interesting in the verse that I quoted, and I'll end with this. John 15, Jesus specifically said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his family. That's not what he said. He says, greater love has no one than this, that a man or woman would lay down their life for who? Friends. A friend. Not family. Family, you might, oh, that's, you know. But a friend? Really? Somebody that I have no, you know, yeah. Because interestingly, who does Jesus call us besides his brothers and sisters, he calls us his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for his friend so that we could become the friend of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this beautiful story, a story, God, of heart change, <laughs> both in Joseph's life and in the life of Joseph's brothers. There was healing that was taking place. There was growth that was taking place. They were no longer thinking just of themselves, but now they were thinking of others more than themselves. They were willing to literally lay down their lives for someone else. And God, that's the kind of love you want to produce in our hearts and lives so, Lord, may we allow you to continue to do that heart surgery on us as well. Because, Lord, every day we know it sort of, 
There's always that pull to put self before everyone and everything else. And so, Lord, may we get up every morning sort of with the same words that we sung about at the very end of our worship time tonight. I surrender all. God, I give up myself to love others the way you love me. God, it's so exciting to see what you can do in our lives when we give you that room and that permission. And God, you're doing a work in the Oasis Church too, and we're excited about it, and, and, and we're, we're moved by it as you're moving amongst us. And Lord, we just pray that we would continue to be open and receptive, God, to what you want to do in each of us and as us as a community of believers, God. Because, Lord, where, where there's a group of people that truly love each other, it doesn't get any better than that on earth. So, Lord, may we be a lighthouse of love in this community. May people be able to see your love flowing through us to them each and every day. And may we love those who even hate us, God, and love our enemies, Lord, supernaturally through you. May, Lord, we be known for the kind of love and the quality of love we have so that we can truly be called your disciples. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you. We'll see you next week.